Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by the hopefully safely and speedily recovering Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I'm I'm good and been better. I'm excited. It's been a while since we've been on. We've been so busy we had to we had to cancel. So I didn't want to I didn't want to cancel again today. Well, you're you're you are uh you are a trooper because you're coming here. You're not feeling a hundred percent after. I guess. I, what is it? The aftermath, the, the, the <laughs> consequences of this mountain bike accident, and yeah. uh, recovering from a surgery. So, uh, you doing okay? I am. I, you know, I, I, I definitely feel it. I got uh, got my hand operated, my thumb operated on uh, yesterday. So, got home about one o'clock and slept most of the afternoon with uh with all the the drugs that they gave me but uh just tylenol and and ibuprofen from here on out so well and, hopefully and you a have a little bit of ice of uh doctors and nurses uh taking care of you uh during that surgery and yeah uh, they were they were great i'm i'm grateful for good doctors and nurses and and my wife who's uh who's helping me. It's taking me longer to do everything, you know, typing up the, the show notes for today, and creating things. And then you and I are headed to Orlando this week. You're Thursday and I'm Friday. We're going to a, one of the biggest conferences of the year of the National Speakers Association. And I'm excited to see you there in person. I'm also, ex- well, we'll, we'll get to, I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, I'm, a little, I'm a little bit worried because I won't be able to type my notes. So I'll just have to do handwriting. Thankfully, I have my, my right hand. So uh, at least be able to take lots of lots of notes because there's going to be great information. It's the 50th anniversary of the National Speakers Association, so this is going to be a big, big, big event. People coming from all over the world, um, and I know you're going to be there helping them to uh, show showcase some of the services that you provide as a sponsor of the NSA with Reconto and your uh, incredible software that helps speakers really tell their stories. Yeah, we're super excited to be there, Spencer. Excited to see you, uh, and we're also sponsoring the Mountain West Chapters dinner, and uh, so we're excited to do that as well for the chapter. And super excited uh, to see one thousand of your fellow colleagues there at Influence in Orlando for the fifty. Can you imagine hanging out with a thousand speakers? <laughs> Hard to get a word in edgewise, I think. But no. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, the, the speakers are great. They're so eager to share their knowledge and their experience with each other and with us. And uh, for us, it's just an honor to be able to help and serve them. Yeah, I know. And you, and you do a great job at it. And we also have a surprise. We just got a surprise invitation for our friend, from our friend Patrick. If I'm not speaking clearly, it's some kind of hangover, I guess. I don't know. But uh, So we're going to be at Red Iguana tomorrow, which is one of our that that's this is one of our 18 19 year traditions and the red iguana is one of our favorite mexican food restaurants in the entire world so uh we're going to be having some uh enchiladas what uh probably amarillas for me amarillas yeah now maybe it goes with the suizas but i love the enchiladas amarillas there and uh, they have fantastic moles and yeah it's it's an awesome place okay spencer (laughs) <laughs> One more thing that's today. Today is 7-Eleven, so it's Slurpee Day. I don't I know. Slurpee. 
do that does 7-eleven still do the free slurpees i don't know i don't uh, know i think i think not. they do yeah but you know maybe maybe as a as a reward uh or as a soothing balm for your your uh, recovery you know maybe your wife will take you down to the 7-Eleven, get you a free Slurpee. No pressure, Janet. Just, uh, <laughs> just an idea. Well, okay. Well, we've got a, we've got a fantastic topic uh, today that, that you raised um, earlier for discussion, understanding team dynamics and uh, specifically Tuckman's model. And so Spencer, why don't you just kind of lead us off and, and, and walk us through what it is that you hope, to uh deliver to our listeners and our viewers today yeah this is this is a this is something i i just feel so strongly about and i was uh teaching a group of um call them hr uh, and also uh consultants on last thursday and friday i did a two-day certification in some of the tools that that i use specifically pdp uh, PDP Global has things like the Pro Scan, the Team Scan, the, the Job Scan, and I was certifying five new companies, and then some of my current clients were were there as well for refreshers. And when we were talking about the the Team Scan, that was a, a super enlightening for for many of them. It was just a, a segment that they that they really got into because once you identify what's going on individual uh, individually with with team members and and that's really based on human software right i mean we have our own each of us has our own software we talked a lot about, about uh, human development where our behavior comes from and and how we measure that and it's not you know it's not about values it's not about beliefs it's about behavior and it's very very predictable and once you understand that you can have a, a a real finger on the pulse of the team dynamics, and therefore, uh, what are what those dynamics are are creating in terms of of team performance? How are they helping you get the job done? How are they creating conflict and, and actually reducing productivity? And and so, one of the questions you know that that they asked me is how do we you know, how do we understand the, the conditions of the team? And, and here's a couple things, you know, how do we improve communications vertically, horizontally? How do we create, you know, performance criteria? How do we reduce interpersonal conflicts? How do we, you know, form effective team groups and, and improve that teamwork? So that was one that we spent a lot of time on that led to the, you know, the, the Tuckman's theory of organizational development. And then, how do we utilize our people the best and analyze and define corporate culture? Well, that was all under the team dynamics. We're not going to cover all those today, but understanding the corporate culture um, and really what's happening with that team and so that you can make the adjustments necessary, I think is is something that we can tackle today. But we were, we were doing all of these, um, handling all of these questions over a period of two days. And based on just the experience I have in working with teams, I was able to introduce this idea that has been around for a very, very long time as it relates to behavioral profiles. How does a leader behave in a certain way, help the team in a, in a certain phase of its, of its development? So you've heard of the Tuckman's theory of organizational development, which is the, you know, forming, storming, 
norming and, and performing, and then some add a fifth, the adjoining. Uh, we're going to focus on just the first four. Keep it simple. And how you as a leader need to adapt to be successful in each of those of those phases. And so, again, part of just your awareness of a leader of uh, human software and how to then identify where your team is at. So that's what we're going to talk about today. A little bit long uh, intro, but uh, what does that bring up for you? Well, I, I am curious, uh, you touched on this idea that there might be different skills or behaviors that are needed by the leader throughout these four different stages of the Tuckman's model. And so uh, you, maybe you can share with us what, what those skills might be at those various stages. Yeah, uh, for, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's really, really important that, that first of all, we are assessing ourselves so we know what our, our strengths are as, as a leader. And, you know, I've talked about this in the past as one of the, I, I think, the, the, the necessaries of an effective leader is to be able to adapt your leadership style. And that's difficult for a lot of people. Some of, some of, most of us are, are good at, you know, several leadership styles, you know, whether it's uh, coercive, authoritative, pace setting. But we may struggle with the, you know, the more democratic approach or the affiliative or the, uh, you know, the coaching and vice versa, if we're really good at bringing, you know, being affiliative and, and uh, eliminating silos and just cooperating with others and, you know, pulling out their voices and coaching them effectively, we may struggle with the more assertive leadership uh, strengths. But each of these four phases requires us to be able to adapt. And, and if that's difficult for us, Christian, being aware of that is important because then we can encourage others and I'll give you an example I'll give you examples of this we can encourage others to fill that void and maybe step in where where we as an individual leader are weak but empower them in that certain phase to to really bring what's what's necessary so uh, I mean I'll give you an example I'm on the National Speakers Association Mountain West chapter board of directors I'm I'm the now the the president elect and our our past president Cheryl Knowlton, who you know very well, who's wrangled you into being a sponsor of our chapter, <laughs> grateful for that. Um, at the beginning of this year in January, we had a very specific uh, task as 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 a board, and that was to update our our bylaws. They were woefully outdated; had been many, you know, probably a decade since they had been updated. And we have certain fiduciary responsibilities, and thankfully, our our leader took that that response, uh, I mean, that, that responsibility seriously. And one of the things that I asked for from her and the, and the executive board was, could I have permission to do what I'm talking about today? Can we take a moment and assess every individual on the team and then create a, a team, call it a team scan, a team dynamic of, of where we are as a team so that we know how to set us up for success to accomplish this task. Most teams, I think, will just jump into it and say, oh, you know, we can just figure it out and get and get through it. I got the permission, and so we we did that. So we got everybody's uh, uh, pro scans, and and we we I put them into what's called uh, this this team scan, and we created a 
report that that basically helped us understand what is the culture of this of this board. And Christian, uh, just at a high level, eighty five, which I'm sure won't surprise you, but eighty five percent of the board were high extroverts, low conforming, and uh, impatient. And most of them are uh, assertive, and, and some of them are more supportive. But the the predominant high trait was extroversion. The predominant low trait was low conformity. What does that mean? That means that when it comes to writing bylaws, which requires focus, attention, and um, some rules, and looking at what the National Association wanted us, meant that we had to be very focused, uh, we couldn't be talking over each other. We needed we needed to use our time wisely. Uh, we needed to, to be uh, supportive of of guidelines and bylaws, which low conforming people hate. And so when I pointed that out, they're like, "Oh my gosh, you know, we're gonna get off track and we're gonna go down tangents." And so in order to prevent that, we had the fifteen percent of the people on the team that had different personalities. One of them had. Very high conforming, uh, which is exactly what we needed, and and two of them had high dominance. Now others had high dominance, but that was their that was their uh, high trait. And we said to them, "We need you, and empower you to step in when we start going on tangents and, and pull us back." Okay, so we had this discussion beforehand because we understood the dynamics of the team and what could have what could happen and what could keep us off track. And we empowered them to speak up and say, okay, what are we missing? Now, to have the best team, to have you know true diversity on a team, we need all of the behavioral strengths so that we can call on them to, to, to bring their perspectives out so that we make the best decisions possible and, and create the, you know, the best bylaws possible. But in the absence of that, we empowered those that were most diverse to be able to speak up and not be overpowered by the majority of, of the board members. And as a result, I mean, Cheryl was just ecstatic about the outcome. She just thought this was amazing because we were able to be very productive and achieve our results in an empowering and a fun way, which, you know, the extroverts needed. And we and we made fun of ourselves during this process because, we, oh, there it is. All right, we're going to shut that down. Let's get back on track because we had named it before it happened. And, and that's an example of how... Regularly assessing our teams can help us to understand the dynamics of the team to get the job done at hand, the project or whatever it is you're working on. I love this example, Spencer. Uh, what it tells me is how important it is from the outset to build awareness, right? Like uh, hunters or survivalists often say, that your circle of awareness should be bigger than your circle of influence. And Ooh, I like that. And the reason for that is, you know, you're trying to approach prey and, and uh, if your circle of influence is bigger than your circle of awareness, then you're just scaring off all the animals or, <laughs> or whatever. Right. Right. But in a, in a team environment, uh, if your circle of influence is bigger than awareness, then you may just be just, you know, your high dominant, extroverted person just maybe stomping all over everything without realizing the consequences of your behaviors. And so I think that the idea that, hey, you know, before we even get into this exercise, let's do this assessment. Let's see where we are. What that did 
is it built a common awareness amongst your team and an expectation so that, okay, yeah, we all understand each other. This is how we operate. We agree we're going to need somebody that has this kind of skill set to shepherd us through this because of the nature of the task. I think it's a perfect example uh, of setting awareness and expectation at the outset so that the team understands, okay, these are the opportunities we have and the constraints we operate under in order for us to be successful. So I really appreciate you sharing that example. Yeah, no, thank you. And I love that. I love that story. That you told. Uh, I'm be scaring off all the prey, but uh, I just, I just wanted to share uh, one of your good friends and, and uh, uh, fellow uh, guest on our, our podcast, Amy Murray, she's, she gave a little shout out to me. So uh, feel better soon, Spencer. Thank you, Amy. Really appreciate your comment. We love when we get comments online and questions, bring your, bring your questions. Um, Amy's me, awesome. Me, she is, she is awesome, a talented and, and smart uh, professional. So um, one other example I'd like to share with you is in working with a nonprofit, this was a, an organization that was, that is uh, one of the top nonprofits in the country right now. I mean, I'm talking top five. They're just they're fabulous. They weren't always this way. So many years ago, when we were using some of these tools to help them, myself and, and another uh, consultant, we um, were able to identify why certain things were happening on this team. I mean, they, they, they treat kids with cancer. You know, they have an incredible cause. They save lives. The nurses are attracted to to this organization because of the, the mission. And it attracts a certain personality. A lot of times the nurses are very high pace slash patient, which is a altruistic uh, trait. And, and a lot of them have that low dominance where they're supportive and very collaborative. That creates some challenges when you're working with surgeons and doctors that are you know high dominant and low extroversion and they had some of those on the team that created some some really interesting dynamics between the the you know service providers and that we had to had to work on but one of the things that was most problematic uh, they also had high conformity which means they they wanted rules and, and structure and they wanted a predictable environment well one of the doctors was uh dr jekyll and mr hyde uh, quite re really he was in a brilliant doctor but had some high dominance and high pace, which is a really interesting combination. So some days would show up just happy and jovial, and other days uh, he would be, you know, just for whatever reason, uh, a bear. And so the nurses had a secret code which they would put on the on the uh, on the patient board to know, so they would know who, who was showing up today, and they could be prepared because they needed to be prepared mentally for this. One of the challenges of, of this, this profile that is so typically service-oriented, because of their low extroversion, they would never confront bad behavior of the, of, of the doctors or the healthcare providers that, that were causing them stress and, and anxiety. And in the, in the meetings, they would never speak up when the executives were talking about initiatives or things that they disagreed with. They wouldn't speak up in that environment because of that low conformity, that high pace. <clears throat> excuse me, low extroversion and, and high pace. But behind, after the meeting, they would have the meeting after the meeting with one-on-one -on -one, and they would have the the complaining fest that was going on about 
how frustrated they were. And this was an insidious behavior to the culture. Even though these were caring, loving nurses, the fact that they were unwilling to speak up was creating a, a, just this back-channel uh, discontent throughout the organization that was really damaging to the culture. So we identified that. This is why this is happening. We helped coach them and help them be aware of that. And in addition to that, as we started to hire new coaches, we said, this is the culture. We looked for that high pace, which was wonderful, but we also looked for people that had a higher extroversion, that they were more comfortable naturally speaking out. And once we started to shift the overall culture in, in terms of the micro, who, who they were as an individual, the overall culture shifted. It was amazing what happened to be able to deal with the challenges that would show up day to day. People were able to talk about it in meetings and not behind closed doors or the meeting after the meeting. It changed everything. But we had to understand the dynamics of what was going on with the team in order to do that. So that's another example of how something like this can really be used to your advantage to, uh, to produce the results that you want within your organization. What I what I hear from that, Spencer, is um, that if you look at this Tuckman's model, right, where you've got the norming, storming, uh, yeah. or forming, uh, storming, norming, and performing, right, uh, that a lot of teams get stuck in this suboptimal norming phase, right? Or storming. Yeah, well, I mean, storming, they're actively like, but right. here you have this this is the way this culture is and you know the the doctors like this the nurses are like this I and gotcha. we just deal with it right so we and this happens in a lot of organizations where they just kind of get stuck in this suboptimal well this is the way things are around here yes. norming uh phase and it's interesting that in this particular example that you gave me in order for them to get out of that suboptimal norming phase and get to the more performing phase, it actually required an infusion of people that had these particular traits that allowed them to get out of it. But sometimes teams don't have that option. You know, they don't, they may not have the opportunity to say, well, we can just swap out the pieces here, uh, or, you know, we can hire new folks or shuffle people around. So what do you do if you're in an organization where you don't really have control over who's on the team. How do you get out of this rut of suboptimal norming to become high performing? So two things you need to, uh, first of all, you need to have an overall strategy that this is the, the culture that we want to create. And the first thing that, that we did with this organization said, here's where we're going. We want you on board and we want to, coach you. We want to help you. We want to help you understand how to, how to get out of your own way in these stressful environments that are causing, you know, the behavior that is destructive to the team. And quite frankly, uh, Christian, some were just like, not going to do it. And you have to make a hard decision that you're committed to the strategy to say, all right, then this team is probably not for you. So it has to be a combination of, of both. And you can't just say, hey, well, you know, the team here is was what we've got. But if you just say, well, we're going to allow certain terroristic behaviors to continue, then the, the change will never happen. So individuals on the team have to be willing to make adjustments and change or they need to go. 
And that's a, that's just that you have to have that, uh, that approach as a leader, which is why you need to have a strategy and understand where the team is and where are we going? Here's where we're going. We want you and we're going to be working together to get you there. If this is something that you're willing to do, wonderful. We want you. If not, this probably isn't the place for you. And so you, you have to take that, that approach that you're going to do it with the, with the people who are wanting to change and go out and replace those who aren't. I mean, it's. I think it's it's Pollyannish to say that um, you you just you, you're just going to have to. Nothing's going to change in terms of, of 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 the people if the people on the team aren't willing to change. They have to be willing to change. If they are, wonderful. Then we can we can coach them and we can uh, help them. If they're not, and in my experience, there's always a couple of resistors that won't. And you have to be serious about saying this. Unfortunately, is not the place for you. Yeah, I think you know. Here in the states, um, uh, especially in the in the corporate side, uh, there may be more freedom and autonomy to make those kind of decisions uh, to to move people around. Uh, in other places in the world, or in especially in public sector, uh, it may be more difficult as people are just assigned. Like, okay, you're going to go work over here, and you just get these people assigned to you, and you try to make uh, make do the best that you can. I remember a statistic that you've cited repeatedly on our podcast here over the last several years that only 12% of teams are high performing. So if you look at this Tuckman's model, only 12% of the teams are actually getting to that fourth stage. So in your experience, where are they getting stuck? That's a great question. I think mostly it's getting stuck in the storming phase. And the reason why I jumped in when you said norming, uh, there are very st- distinct characteristics of each phase. And let me talk about those now. And then I also want to talk about an experience I, uh, to answer your question of someone that I'm coaching in Europe. And, and uh, we'll keep that completely confidential, but uh, with a major organization. And this team leader was uh, given a new team member who very uh, this person very quickly, who's the team leader, identified that this person was not a fit for the team, and uh, through lots of you know just assessment and 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 feedback, found that this was not going to be a, a a good fit, and made the very difficult decision to cut that person. And it was a very very difficult experience for this leader because they were questioned. Uh, by their bosses and, um, you know, the, the person who was let go did their best to, uh, you know, go down kicking and screaming uh, and, and create some disruption on the team to, to say that this was some kind of discrimination when in fact it wasn't. But there's all these very difficult dynamics that happen when you have to make these types of tough decisions. But ultimately, in the long run, it turned out to be the right decision. Everybody understood it, but you had to go through some quite a bit of pain to get there and some questioning of, of this leader's uh, judgment. And that, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a stressful and, and difficult decision, but ultimately the right decision. And uh, so not just here in the United States, it happens <laughs> elsewhere, although the, 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 the resistance may be stronger elsewhere. So you better, you better do it, you know, be prepared and have assessed the individuals and, and really be aware of, of what the implications of those decisions are. If that makes sense. It, so, it does. 
Yeah. You were going to say something. I could feel it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, I I was just going to ask you to elaborate on what you said earlier, which is these distinct differences between these different four stages. Yes, for sure. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, work group or, or, or team development, you've heard of the forming, storming, norming, and performing. So let's start with, with the forming phase. This is not only is it for a, uh, a, a startup of an organization that may be new, you know, like you, you went through a forming stage with Recanto recently. I did several, you know, eight years ago as, uh, as all team leadership, we, we form our, our companies. You can also have teams or divisions within an organization that are in a forming stage. Forming can also happen when you are like what we were doing with this nonprofit, this children's organization saying, okay, here's where we're going to go. Here's how we're going to behave from now on. We're creating a new vision, a new direction. In a sense, that's like starting again and you're forming. So you can have a a mature company even, uh, or departments on a mature company go back to a forming stage. And, um, And so basically what's going on is there's optimism, there's excitement, you know, there's, there, there's, there's, there's tentative group affiliation, like, okay, we're, we need marketing, <laughs> we need production, the different teams, we're going to be working together. We have this great vision of how it's going to be. Um, and there is obviously some suspicion and fear of what's to come, especially with a startup. You don't know, you know, working for a startup can be stressful just because of the anxiety. Is this really going to work out? Um, I'm putting, you know, am I, am I putting my eggs in the right basket? That's, those are some of the dynamics of a forming team. Is this new direction that, that the executives are, are espousing? Is it going to work? Are we going to be able to overcome you know, inertia or history? I don't think it's going to work. I don't think I want to. You know, so all these thoughts are, are going through people's head. And these are some of the dynamics as well of, of optimism and excitement and enthusiasm, mostly in that forming phase. And one of the things I pointed out to these uh, these executives that I was certifying is that during this phase, one of the the, the leadership traits uh, that is, I, I think, uh, needed is that of, of of the dominant personality. Here's where we're going. I'm painting the vision. This is the direction. You are you are leading the way. You are setting the example. We are setting the you know putting our flag in the dirt of of who we're going to be and where we're going to go. And, and, and that's something that a, a high dominant person usually excels at being able to, to, to create that vision in that direction. So thoughts about that? Uh, yeah, I, I can totally see that. Uh, and, and generally speaking, as you said, it can be an exciting time. It is something new. It's something different. Yes. Uh, and for some people, it can be a very nervous time because... Right what we're going to be changing everything the way the way I do everything or or they lack faith because they've they've had the flavor of the month fail. Yeah, this... <laughs> yeah they've had initiatives fail in the past and like okay here we go again exactly right? but uh yeah generally I, I agree as you as you say uh what you need to really um, maximize the effectiveness of that particular stage is someone who can really champion it you know right. and uh who's got that vision and, and can really sell that vision to the people on the team. Okay. So that takes care of forming, but then we, uh, 
devolve into storming or maybe evolve, but we, <laughs> you know, we transition into this storming phase. So tell us about this storming phase and yeah. the, the kind of person that's really ideally suited or the character traits that are really ideally suited to get, to navigate teams through this storming phase. Sure. And I, I just want to shout out some of our listeners, Jana Forsyth. Uh, so good to, to see your, your watching Jana. And then David Iskadrian, uh, Iskadrian. So um, that sounds Armenian. I don't know if it is, but it, it sounds like it. So hope uh, you're listening uh, from all the way over in Yerevan, if if possible. Give us a give us a shout if if you are. So yes, let's talk about the 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 storming phase. And uh, yeah, this is this is the one that's uh, a lot of fun. So this is where we have mood swings we have arguing we have competition as teams are starting to you know individually place their flags in 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 the dirt because this is this is my area this is my responsibility this is my budget this is my team uh there's finger pointing you have silos i'm actually dealing with a uh with a potential client right now they're actually owned by a venture capital firm, 80%, and, and they're having some serious challenges culturally. And, and uh, right now they have complete um, just lack of support for each other. And everybody else is pointing at everybody else that why things aren't getting done. And that's a, that's a you know, tough phase to be in. There's tension. And it's stressful. And the storming phase can go on for a long time. I mean, it's just... You know, during COVID, a lot of the teams uh, you dealt with that anxiety with just, hey, this is what we got to do right now. We got to suck it up. Well, if things never got better, um, that's why we saw that you know that great resignation because people in that storming phase lose hope. Things are never going to get better. Things are never going to change, and it's 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 so stressful and, and anxious that that this is a phase where you may lose a lot of good people. So what are the characteristics that are needed when your team is in the storming phase? And you can be in the storming phase, Christian, just bringing somebody new on the team creates a whole new dynamic. What are, you know, what are, what, what are, what are my roles? And nobody told me and, and who am I reporting to now? And so you can see that, yeah, you can have new people in the forming stage, but that can also shift a team into the, into that storming phase where they're, um, they're getting very territorial. The, the behavioral strength that I think is really uh, needed here is extroversion. Is people on the team who can speak up because in the absence of information, people are going to awfulize. That's not really a word. They're going to catastrophize. They're going to think about, hey, we're not going to make it. Things are going sideways. They are telling the story. So you need people who are comfortable standing up and and being open about what's going on and encouraging and motivating and saying, this is normal. We're going to get through this. And I think that the, the trait that excels at that is, is extroversion. So if you, if you as a leader don't have that, empower people on your team to be able to get out and tell the story. Because um, John Cotter, who is an incredible change uh management guru he's written um multiple books uh, published by harvard business review he's he's consulted countries and and you know fortune 50 organizations on on change 
And one of the things he, he talks about is you have to communicate hundreds of times more than you think you do. You've got to, and, and so you can't be tired doing that because it's, you need it. You need to have that, uh, energy to, to encourage and motivate and, and let, and let people know what's going on and be very open and transparent. And that takes a lot of energy. So that's a, that's a strength for someone who's able to do that. Okay. So we finally figure out how to kind of sort of play nice with each other <laughs> And we transition from this storming phase to a norming phase. So what does that look like? And what is the uh, behavioral trait that uh, really excels at managing this norming phase? Well, let's have some transition music. What do you say? Oh, let's do it. See, see that? We're having like a an auditory and physical uh, video transition to uh Ooh. to the norming stage <laughs> um so now we're getting into to norming and this is a, a a phase where we have learned to accept our differences you know one of the things i love to do in in my keynotes and you've seen me do it and i'm gonna add i'm adding an element i've been thinking so much about this remember when i when i have the the live behavioral assessment and I divide people into four corners of the room. Yeah. And it's, it's so really fun awesome. to be able to divide people and see where their strengths are. Right. And, and then how they behave under pressure and under stress and, and how, and I mentioned that we need to appreciate those differences, but I, I I'm going to add something to it because I, I feel like I haven't really closed the loop on that where I divide everybody and then just say, okay, let's take our seats. I want to get everybody to look around the room. And so I want you to look at the people around the room and what is it that you admire about what's the, what's the trait that they bring that you don't have that you admire. And I want you to look around the room and I want you to think about what do you need to do to be able to connect with and communicate better with each person in those four different quadrants, three different quadrants that are different than your own. It's easy to talk to the people that are in your own group. All the high extroverts are having fun. They're having a party. They're getting along. All the high dominants are pointing, you know, telling everybody, all right, let's get going. And, and so they can relate to each other. But how do we start to come together? And one of the best traits for doing that are, are the high pace because they are typically accepting and considerate and thinking of others first. So empowering them on the team to really speak up here and, and encouraging them to uh to lead the way in creating that accepting of our differences, creating harmony on the team. They excel, they desire, they want to have harmony on the team. And this is where we create an environment where we recognize our differences, but we learn how to... Let me back up just a second. Why is it important to learn a foreign language, Christian? You've traveled all over the world. Well, and you, and you speak you know, a different language. Why is it important? If you're in that particular area and you want to effectively communicate with people there, it helps to be able to speak their language, right? It and it also shows that um, you are willing to put in the effort to learn how to communicate effectively with them. You know, and how uh, does that impact how they're willing to to meet you halfway and 
and communicate and connect with you? Oh, it's it, it's a it's a huge difference maker. I remember working down in Rio de Janeiro on the 2007 Pan American Games, yeah. and also on the the their Olympic bid for 2016 as a project manager. And when I started working there, I didn't speak any Portuguese, although I spoke Spanish. But I, I made an effort to learn Portuguese uh, well enough that I could communicate in a meeting. And I heard from multiple people, thank you for, you, you, uh, many of them said, you know, you're the only American that came down here that actually has taken time to try to learn to speak Portuguese. You know, everybody else, they just speak English and we just speak English, but we just are grateful that you actually made an effort, you know, so uh, it, it can make a big difference. And, and think about what that does to just the team dynamics and respect that you have for them learning their language uh, and, and their uh, gratitude or, or just how they feel about you taking the time to learn their language creates that, that dynamic of respect. The same is true when we as team members start to learn how to speak with people that communicate differently than we do. It is something that brings the team together, that creates that harmony that, that we need on the team to perform at our highest level. We appreciate our differences instead of standing separate and say, you, you know, this is who I am. I'm proud of it. But yes, it's okay to be proud of, of your strengths, but we need to also be recognizing of, of others. And I think that the, the trait that does the best at that is, is the high pace, high patient. Um, they establish, you know, boundaries of, and ground rules and standard operating uh, agreements and procedures. And I think one of the things that is super helpful for a team is to create operating agreements. This is how this team is going to communicate. This is how we are going to have conflict. When when conflicts do arise, which they will, this is what we agree to do. Here's how we're going to and and we bring everybody in on that on on those agreements because some people may have greater aversion to you know open conflict than than others. I mean certain personalities like high dominance like hey, that's a good I I was telling the story during this training of of a situation where I was uh, a, a director of sales and the vice, excuse me, the president or the CEO at the time came to me and said, Hey, Spencer, you deal with, uh, you know, so many clients that are corporate and, and you're going out and, and selling in a new way that we haven't been doing before. Would it help if we changed your title instead of call you a leadership training advisor, which was nobody outside our organization really knew what an LTA is in terms of sales. Would it, would it, be okay to, to make you uh, an associate vice president. I said, sure. I didn't even ask for that title. She just, it, it, it made sense because some people look at titles when they are wanting to, you know, decide whether they want to talk to you or not, <laughs> right, at, at the C level. So, so we changed my title. Well, the, the CEO subsequently was fired. And our director of HR was a, a, a tough, person, experienced uh, woman who worked for us part-time. She also worked for the local police department with their HR. So she, you know, she's been used to this tough environment. And we as a company were a intensive leadership training company. And, and uh, 
So one day I heard her, Christian, she came into the office and she said, did you hear what Spencer did? He changed his title to assistant vice president. I'm sitting in my office. I could hear this. And I said, well, it's associate vice president, not, not assistant. And, and she's going on. And then she comes into my office and she puts her hands on my desk and leans into my face and says, why'd you change your title to assistant vice president? I said, well, it's associate vice president. And here are the reasons. And are you ashamed of being an LTA? And, and I said, no, you know, I teach emotional intelligence. So I wasn't getting sucked into this, right? Because, you know, I know better. She goes out of the, uh, out of my office and she yells over the sales floor. We have this big bullpen. She says, Hey Dave, what do you want your title to be? And after a while, Christian, I, enough was enough. You know what? She needed to be confronted. And so I went up to her and I'm just like, that's enough. And she's like, rah, rah, rah. And I'm, we are just, it's like two cracking, you know, we're just going at it. You know, we're not physical. We're just, you know, she's short. I'm, but she doesn't, she's not intimidated by me, but we're just having this, this argument. And after I look around and Christian, my poor sales team was devastated. I mean, they were just, they were afraid. (laughs) And what were they afraid of? I hope he never does that to me. What if I say something that, that releases that, that monster on me, you know, that's what they're thinking. Right. And so that personality (laughs) is not great in, in, uh, in an environment where you're trying to create harmony and peace. (laughs) And so you need someone that is that is willing to uh, to to really just let that go. And that wasn't that wasn't me at that time. I'm much better at it now. But then I I was still uh, this was quite a few years ago and and, uh, was still developing. At the same time, though, I think that in order to foster harmony and build trust with your team, they need to feel like you will go to battle for them. Right. So. So if you're not just defending yourself, but if you're actually defending the team, uh, making sure that they have the resources that they require or that um, uh, that obstacles are removed that impede their performance, that you're there going to bat for them. And if you get a little aggressive when you do that, it doesn't bother them. They're like, hey, you know, we've got someone here who's championing our cause. And, and uh, so, you know, I think that's an important that's an important element when you start getting into this particular phase is yeah, you want to build harmony and cohesion in your team, but I think you also need to be uh, willing to uh, defend your team when it needs to be defended. And do it in a way that does not harm the team. I mean, there was a better way to right. do that. And uh, I mean, I could have had a, you know, behind the the doors and, and, and wait till I wasn't uh, frustrated. And then I could go back to the team and report, hey, I was able to accomplish this. I went to bat for you. That's different than having that fight in front of everybody. So what's the difference between the norming phase and the performing phase? And what gets you from one to the other? Excellent. Here we go. Okay, so the performing phase is this is where um, you've got a, a, a team that is just has an identity. They are very aware of that identity. They know what their strengths are. They appreciate each other on, on the team. 
I mean, you know, you and I talk about sports a lot, but the performing phase is, you know, we may have to go through some fusses and, and fights and eventually get to that, that harmony where we, where we value each other. But once we have come together and we know what this, you, you hear it all the time. Coaches will say, we're trying to find the identity of this team. Have, have you heard that? Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah, we, we need to find our identity. How do we show up when crisis hits? How do we show up when when a customer, uh, you know, says we we didn't deliver? What is what is our identity? What, how do we show up when someone does not follow through with their commitments? How do we how do we address each other? How do we deal with with conflict? We have created an identity, and that that takes that takes some time to get to that, to that phase. And this is where we're really leveraging each other's abilities. Kind of like what we did in that, in that board meeting. It's like, okay, here's where we need Christian to speak up because we've heard from Spencer too much, you know, whatever the situation is, we, we need to, Hey, Christian, can you, can you step in here? And and what have we, what are we missing? What are we not seeing? And we value each other enough to say, all right, I, I need to step back and I need to, I need to hear from you or right now somebody's hot with the ball. We need to give them the ball. It's not, it's not about my stats or it's about winning. Right. So I'm going to, somebody's got a hot hand and they may not be the regular star on the team, but we're going to feed that individual the ball. And we put our egos aside and we win the game. And I think that's, that's what we're talking about. And it's just really an ability to work as a team and, and there's a shared pride in accomplishment. It's a team accomplishment. It's about the team, you know, not your name on the back of the shirt, but the team name on the back of the shirt. We are X team. You know, we are the Reconto, whatever it is. We are this team and, and, uh, and we're proud of what we're, we're accomplishing. And what does it take to get there? Going through all of these steps and sticking with it and understanding who, the individuals on the team, uh, creating a vision of where you want to go, getting that buy-in or inviting people to leave, um, helping people get through that uncomfortable phase of figuring out where they fit in, uh, bringing your strengths to that, and then really appreciating our differences instead of coming from those four corners, coming back together and uh, really working together as a team. It takes work. It takes a commitment. It's not something that happens overnight and it never ends. Why? Because people are constantly coming and going and no team ever progresses from forming to storming to norming to performing. It's like here, 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 here. You're constantly in different phases, which is why it's important to assess where you are. You know, uh, well, I guess before I have my, I make my comment on this is, is uh, so what's the behavioral trait that is aligned with this performing stage in order to keep that machine humming uh, uh, at a high level uh you know we've talked about the high dominance at the forming stage the high extroversion at the storming stage the high pace at the norming stage so does that leave conforming then uh yeah you know what what the conforming people are going to love this phase because that's where they have the most beans to count because you are producing results and they're going to be really, really happy because they're, they're seeing things come together. You know, a couple of things that high conforming people appreciate. 
you've got standard operating procedures, you've got processes, you have goals, you know where you're going, uh, you know, whether that be a championship, whether that be a, you know, revenue goal, uh, and who's doing what they love that. And when you actually achieve those goals, uh, they see the, the fruit of those labors and, and they appreciate, um, uh, you know, just treating people with respect. They want to be treated with respect. Uh, they want to know exactly what's expected of them so they can hit it. They want to perform at a high level. And that's when, when we're performing, that's when they're most happy is uh, they, they knew where they were going and they got there. So yes, I think conforming. Now all of the personalities can, can thrive, but I think if you were to just break it down into those four behind traits that it's really interesting because over time what happens is the energy required in the forming stage is high. And as you get down to the performing stage, it gets easier. I mean, you're, you're still working, but you're not, you're not working against each other. The work is going into the results. When you're in the storming phase, you're putting a lot of energy out, but it's, it's, it's internal energy. It's, being, it's like you're dragging an anchor. It's not being put to the bottom line. It's unproductive. And so, so if you were to, uh, so if, if you if you can imagine all four uh, subsequent stages, energy going down uh, from top left to bottom right, and productivity going from the very bottom left to the top right. So productivity is going up, energy expended is going down. That's where every organization wants to get to. Well, my 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 final comment on this is is. There's a, there's a bit of a corollary between this uh, Tuckman's model and what I started learning in the '90s was this this not the you know this uh, the four stages of technology ownership. Uh, you know, we we have uh, you know the total cost of ownership is a common calculation. It's largely yeah. financial, uh, but but there are emotions that come into play when implementing new systems. And the first, which really equates to this forming is the, and these are called the four O's. So the first O is, oh boy, like <laughs> we're, we're getting a new system. Finally, we've been using this crappy system for the past 25 years and it, it always hangs and it's so slow. So we're super excited to be getting this new system. And, and people generally, you know, when you're replacing a legacy system, some may be afraid that, oh, well, I've learned how to do it this way for so long, and this is the way that I do it. But at the same time, they always complain about the way that they do it. So naturally, they're they're pretty enthusiastic about getting this new this new technology in place. But then that can quickly transform or evolve into the oh crap stage because. <laughs> What they realize is the new technology that is being implemented is not living up to their expectations, that change is hard, and that doing these procedures differently than the way that they've done them in the past is, is hard to learn, and it takes patience and skill. And so you get a lot of blowback from people. You know, they get, they get very frustrated about seemingly insignificant things like, oh, well, it's harder to type the date in here on the new system than it was in the old system. And so this system is garbage, right? Because right. it takes longer to enter the date. You know, just silly things like this, but they're not silly. Uh, but eventually <laughs> people realize, well, 
this is the new system and we just have to learn what deal with it. So you get to stage three, which is the oh well stage. Well, okay. I'm totally yeah. writing this down. I'm uh, replacing that Tuckman crap with the oh crap. And <laughs> no, this is so much better. So, so you get to oh well and it's and and you kind of enter this phase where okay, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm I'm tired of beating my head against the wall and it, it is what it is, and these are the tools we gotta use, and so be it. So we 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 do it. And then if the you know technology is good and your processes are good, hopefully eventually you get to the last O, which is oh wow. And that's when you realize I don't know how I actually did my job the old way, because the new way is so much better. I'm so glad that we have the new the new system in place because it's just, it is just that much more efficient and it's easier. I get a lot more data, I can make better decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so there's a bit of a corollary. It's not one-to-one, -one, but there's a bit of corollary between this and I love it. model. You know, yeah. and I hope that the teams that we are speaking to and the people, the leaders that we're speaking to today, you know, can get their teams from that oh boy stage, which is, you know, this naive optimism to the oh wow stage, exactly. which is, I don't know how we would have done it any other way, you know, right. When you win that championship to do the sport uh, analogy, it's like this happened because we had the right pieces. We put them in place. Everybody understood their roles and we worked together as a unit and we were able to achieve success. And I don't know how else we would have done it. And and so anyway, that that's just kind of my closing thought uh, as we come up to the top of the hour here. Hey, we, we have some comments here that we missed. Carla is just... Um prodigious and I, I missed these i forgot to refresh my my notes i was looking but uh she says hi spencer and christian in my experience with large project delivery companies that have high turnover will often hire new for roles and introduce new team members which causes the team to toggle between forming storming and uh norming what can project leaders do to minimize the disruption when new team members join the ongoing projects what do you think based on what we've been talking about? Well, it's absolutely critical to figure out how to get your team to that performing stage because then you have identity. When a new person comes in, they understand that this is how things are done around here, right? It's to, to, to go back to your sport analogy, when you've got a successful team, we often talk about the University of Utah football team who's had the same coach on the staff for almost 30 years now as a head coach for almost 20 years, they've built a culture. So they always have incoming freshmen or they have transfers coming through yes. the transfer portal who are new to this organization. But you've got a coach who's established this culture and there are key players, leaders on the team who I don't wanna say enforce, but because that sounds a bit aggressive, but they just, let everybody know that it's, this a, is it's the authoritative we style team. that we talked about, which is actually yeah. very positive. Hey, let me show you, little brother. Here's how we do. You know, yeah. here's, they, here's what happens. They bring that new team member along into the culture. But if you're not at that performing stage, it becomes a lot more challenging, I imagine, because you are still in the it, middle it does. of the and here, it's more hard. It's more difficult. It is. And, and this is why only 12% of teams are high performing, because what typically happens is you bring that new person on, Carla or anybody else is listening and you have what's called the open culture. And that's what the HR people and all the onboarding people are saying, Hey, here's how we do. Here's how, here's how everything is. But if it's not accepted and you have subcultures, what will happen is that new person will get on board and then someone will grab them and say, Hey, let me tell you how things really show, you know, 
happen around here. And that's the hidden culture. And there's a hidden culture within the open culture that keeps things from changing. You've got to collapse that hidden culture and get to that high performing. And that's where you are. You're, you're very transparent about where you are as a team. And when somebody comes on board, maybe you're not at that performing stage, uh, Carla, you let them know, hey, here, here's some things that are going on right now. And this is why, excuse me, this is why we, we need you. And you also have to be very transparent about why you're bringing people on and communicate with members of the team what's going on. I, I have a client right now that is uh, understandably so. They're expanding very rapidly. So they're, they're creating new, uh, new companies, new divisions. And so they're hiring people all the time. But for some people that have been there a long time, it's a bit of, su- of a surprise and they're having to adjust afterwards. And that is not always the, you know, you don't want to telegraph all your secrets to the marketplace, what you're doing and how you're expanding. But I think once those decisions have been made is to bring people in and let them know, here's where we're going, get that buy-in in advance and say, hey, here, we're, I'm going to need your help in this situation to, to bring this new person on. Here's their, here are their responsibilities and, and deal with those things internally before a new person comes on board. So I think that's uh, another way, but I, I love your, your story. I don't know, Carla, that answers your question, but those are a couple of ideas. She also says creating operating agreements about how your team will deal with conflict is a great tip. Hopefully the sponsors will support it. It, it has to come from, from the team sponsors. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. If they don't think it's necessary, then then change doesn't happen. I mean, you, I think you can, as a as a team member, you certainly can influence the you know your your managers if they're somebody that's willing to listen. Um, but if not, that's going to be hard. Performing is finding your yeah. Team just just very quickly on that, Spencer. Um, yeah. As a if you you know if you were a project manager, say in in an organization, uh, absolutely right your executives, your sponsor have to provide you air cover because if they, if your, if your team members are allowed to undermine your authority all the time, then you just cannot be effective. And, and so Carla's absolutely spot on that the sponsors need to, they, they need to be there to support those team leaders. Yeah. And then she says, love this technique, asking team members to share what trait that your teammates have that you admire. I mean, it's think about it. I, I mean, one of the things I admire about you, Christian, is how thoughtful your questions are, how good of a listener you are, um, how prepared you you are. Those are things that are weaknesses in me that I admire in you. And the same was true of my wife. She is my opposite in so many ways. She is uh, she's not judgmental. She's what I was talking about that that accepting of, of others differences so much more readily than I am. I've learned a lot of that from her. You know, one of the things she taught me with, with our kids is, do you want to be right or do you want to have a relationship? And so I had to learn that from, uh, from her with, I think, great effect uh, in our family. And it's something that I'm so grateful for in my maturing process that I so admire about her. But it wasn't natural in me. And that's how we begin to speak a different language, right? We learn how to speak a, a foreign language, so to speak, so that we can have more appreciation and unity. Uh, and, last and Spencer, thing. likewise, I, I admire your fearlessness and your conviction and your get-her-done attitude uh, <laughs> right now. Let's go. Uh, I, well, I sometimes that, that gets me into yeah. trouble and it, you know, just talk, it, it just, Jana just pointed that out last night and I'm like, I said, it's a strength most of the time, <laughs> but sometimes it's a problem. 
All right. Well, we're up against it. We've already we've already gone over the hour mark, uh, Spencer. But it's been a fascinating conversation. Any last uh, parting comments from you or our listeners? Get her done. Thank you so much for <laughs> for pointing that out and saying those things. That's it. I think I've said it all. Well, Spencer, if uh, you, you're help, you're helping teams around the world, if if people want to learn more about how you could potentially help them get their team from the forming, storming, or norming stage to that high-performing stage, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Spencer Horn. And you know what? I'll give you, I have a 30, I think 30 roughly question uh, survey to find out where you are in terms of the phases. Totally free. I'm happy to give that to you. Uh, just just message me on on LinkedIn. I'll send you that, uh, that Tuckman's uh, survey that, that I have. And uh, so I'll provide that to you and love to have a discussion with you. And Christian, how do people find you, my friend? Uh, easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. So just look up Christian Napier on LinkedIn and you'll find me there. All right, Spencer, it was a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow at Red Iguana for some delicious mole. And then later this week in sunny Orlando, Florida. Listeners and viewers, thank you so much for joining us. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon.